So 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 11. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You knew that when you were pagans, somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone in it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To one, to another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Can I say what a a great joy it's been for Sue and I to be with you this weekend. Uh, Such an encouragement. It's great to actually have a bit more downtime just to connect with various people. And Friday night through today has given that opportunity. And for us, it was just an extraordinary privilege uh, to be there yesterday afternoon as three men uh, told us the stories of the way in which God had transformed their lives. Uh, It was both touching, but also it demonstrated the huge diversity in personality and just the story. So thanks so much for uh, including us this weekend. It, it really has been uh, wonderful. Know that we, uh, we have deep, deep affection for this, this church. I remember when a group was sent out from the city back in 2001, and we, we felt like we were just sort of stumbling along in the dark, but thought it was worthwhile, you know, trying to start a new church somewhere. And it's lovely to see the church just continuing to flourish under that kind hand of God up here. We've been looking at the Holy Spirit this weekend. Uh, We're going to continue to do that today. And I wonder if you'd just join with me as I pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a God who uh, speaks to us. You're a God who is gracious and kind and merciful. And Father, we thank you that one of your wonderful gifts uh, is that you've sent your Son into this world and that the Father and the Son, you and the Son, have sent your Spirit into this world and into our lives. And Father, we pray as we continue to explore how the Spirit is at work in us individually and as a church, uh, you'll give us clarity and great encouragement and joy knowing that you've been so gracious in continuing to stir us up as we serve you in your world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the uh, 2021 census, what we discovered was that less Australians today than ever before were identifying as being religious, right? The numbers ascribing to religion had gone down. What was interesting, though, was that the number of people 
who were indicating they had an interest in spirituality had gone up. Uh, interesting change. There were 56% of people who would say that they were spiritual in that survey. And as far as I can tell, spirituality is increasing in popularity. But when it comes to trying to work out what spirituality is, it's like trying to nail jelly to a wall. It really is such a loose sort of concept in terms of what goes on. So what, I, what I've done is preparing for today, I consulted an expert on the topic of uh, spirituality, Dr. Google, and uh, this is, I said, how would you define spirituality? Uh, this, these are some of the answers that came back, right? Defining spirituality is not easy. Okay, I already knew that, actually. But, uh, and went on and said, because there are so many different types of spirituality. Uh, it can, can include a sense of connection to something bigger than ourselves. Or another, uh, it typically involves a search for the meaning of life. Uh, one academic uh, who'd written on this topic said he'd researched it in a comprehensive way, and he'd come across 27 definitions of spirituality, which had almost nothing in common. <laughs> and, and I think it can feel such a subjective thing, can't it? There are many spiritualities, and what is spiritual for you may not be spiritual for me. Now, Christians, by definition, we view ourselves as being spiritual, but it's not subjective, it's objective. Okay, not subjective, it's objective. That is, it's not so much about an internal search for spirituality inside of me, which I think is the mark of so much of the discussion in 21st century Australia. You see, if you're a Christian, you know that God, by his spirit, convinces us about what he's done for us in Christ to bring us in relationship with him now and for all eternity. That's very specific, isn't it? It's very clear cut. And the Bible is perspicuous when it comes to the work of the Holy Spirit. I've always wanted to put that word into a sermon. <laughs> perspicuous, you know. It, all it means is the Bible is really clear when it comes to talk about the Spirit because the Bible is clear. So when it talks about the work of the Holy Spirit, it's therefore clear. We don't have to grope around in the dark. And yet, over the last 50 years or so, uh, there has been such significant debate among Christians about the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work in individuals and in the church. Clarity in the Bible, yet lots of debate among Christians. How does the Spirit work in our world, in churches, in the lives of believers? And in my encounters with people, I don't think there's been any greater debate than the topic we turn to today, uh, spiritual gifts. So what we're going to do is we're going to jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and just explore what God says perspicuously. I'm not sure if that's a word, but yeah, clearly in his word, uh, I'm not thinking, therefore, we'll all come out of this with it all nailed down and total alignment. Everyone will agree with me, you know. Uh, that's not what I'm thinking. But I think it's great for us, isn't it, to look at God's word and to see what he's got to say to us in his word. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, that's where we're going to focus anyway as we get into it. First thing to say is, <coughs> uh, I give some measure of spirituality 
Uh, are they a measure of spirituality, the gifts? Uh, Paul the Apostle is making it clear when he starts to write to this church that the number or type of gifts that you have is no way to work out your spiritual maturity. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, uh, Paul says this. He's saying that to a church, he says, Therefore, you do not lack any gift as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Uh, the Corinthian church had gifts coming out of their ears. All right? An incredibly gifted church. And you pick that up as you work through this letter. But then Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. Get what he's saying? Chapter 1, every gift under the sun. Chapter 3, very immature. Giftedness is obviously not the measure of maturity. But 1 Corinthians 12, the passage that was read, it provides us with a test for working out spirituality and maturity. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, just beyond what we read, heard read just before, Paul says this, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For all, thank you, Bradley, you're very kind. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. For all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, we're all given the one spirit to drink. See, have you been baptized in the spirit? How would you know? Is it to do with some gift that you've received, uh, some gift that you operate in your life? Now, that was the debate in Corinth, particularly around speaking in tongues. Was that the sign of having the Holy Spirit or not? Was that the gift that marked out whether you were spiritual or not? Paul says back in verse 3 of chapter 12, no one who's speaking by the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Okay, I want you to stop for a moment and just think with me. Do you think this was a problem for this church? You know, they gathered together like this, you know, on a Sunday morning, and at various times in the service, people would jump up and say, Jesus be cursed. I suspect it wasn't a problem. Like, it wasn't actually what happened in their church service. Uh, but it's not just words that Paul is talking about here when he's talking about the mark of having the Spirit. To be able to say Jesus is Lord is to be a Christian. To be able to say Jesus is cursed, if that's the stance of your life, is to be an unbeliever. You know, it's talking about the conviction of the heart, not just words. It's talking about the life of the Lordship of Christ. So when uh, someone says Jesus is Lord, that doesn't make them a Christian any more than saying Jesus is cursed makes you not a Christian almost. It's talking about the conviction of the Lordship of Christ. The great work of the Holy Spirit, the great spiritual experience, the true baptism in the Holy Spirit is when you put your faith in Christ. That's the point that's being made here. When you trust in him as the Lord of the universe, the Lord of you, and that serving him, serving him with the whole of your life is the point of your existence. That's why it was so good yesterday uh, when we had those three men stand up and each of them 
declared the lordship of Jesus over their life. Each of them declared the way in which God had been profoundly at work to change them and make them followers of his. That's the baptism in the Holy Spirit that's being spoken of in this passage. Okay, but what about spiritual gifts? Surely a mark of our spirituality is if we see spiritual gifts in operation today. And when you think about it, uh, aren't there you know, some churches or believers who are more open to the work of the Spirit, which is why we see certain gifts in operation you know, in their churches, in their lives, gifts like tongues or healing or other supernatural events, okay? What I want to do is take a closer look at what this part of the Bible says, okay? So let's focus on it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Notice how it kicks off. Now about the gifts of the Spirit. Now what's interesting here is uh, while the word for spirit, spirituality, appears here, there is no gift word in this verse. It's interesting. Uh, it's supplied by our translators. And I think they've tried to do that to be helpful in the context of the, the chapter, but it's actually not there. Literally what it says is, now about spirituals or spirituality. That's the point he's trying to make. What makes someone spiritual is really the question that's coming up here. It's not until verse four that the word for gift appears. See, see where it shows up there, verse four. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same dis spirit distributes them. There's actually only one place in the New Testament where the phrase spiritual gifts occurs. Only, only once is it mentioned in the whole of the New Testament. That's in Romans chapter one, verse 11, where Paul the Apostle says, I long to see you that I might impart to you some spiritual gift. And at that point, he's talking about the gift of the gospel and being able to encourage them in the gospel. Now, I'm not trying to play word games with you here. You know, I'm not trying to, you know, uh, sort of uh, read this, this verse out of the Bible or anything like that. What I am trying to say, though, is that Christians can often talk a lot about spiritual gifts, but the Bible doesn't, okay? Which is a bit of a tell on how we think and even how we use our language, right? The Bible doesn't use that language. Uh, it talks about it in a different way. So let me keep pressing on. Um, when we talk about spiritual gifts, I think it can create confusion about the source of the gifts. Uh, for example, you look at 1 Corinthians uh, 12, verses 7 to 11. Notice it um, talks about different gifts that are made available by the Spirit. You know, wisdom, knowledge, healing, prophecy, and tongues. Absolutely, that's what's going on here. But let me... Um, just refer to Ephesians chapter four, verse 11. There we're told that Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Or if we went to Romans chapter 12, verse six, we're told there, uh, there are different gifts given according to the grace given us by God, the Father is the one being talked about here, and that includes prophecy. Now, understand at this point, the Spirit, Jesus, and the Father 
And each of those three passages are all attributed with the source of prophecy, giving the gift of prophecy at this point. So is prophecy a spiritual gift, a Jesus gift, or a Father God gift? Which one? Well, actually, all of them. Yeah, this, yes, Chris, oh, that's where you're a Bible teacher. Yeah, yes is the answer. You see, that, that's, that's the point. But you can see why the Corinthians are confused and why sometimes as Christians we can get ourselves confused. God is three persons but one God. Okay, that's, that's the reality that we read about. You cannot divide God up. It's impossible to do that. It's the same today, I think, as it was for the Corinthian church. If we focus on spiritual gifts as a distinctive Christian experience, then essentially what we're doing is dividing up God, and we'll tend to divide his people by doing that, which is why you get into an area of controversy about these sort of issues. That's what it says back in chapter 12, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 3. We were baptized into one body, one God, one church that we all belong to. And that's the reality of why the gifts are given by God to build his church. Let me go on. Is there a, a distinction perhaps then between spiritual gifts and natural gifts? Yeah, spiritual gifts or non-spiritual gifts. Yeah, so you've got spiritual gifts that are supernatural, like speaking in tongues, prophecy, doing miracles. You've got natural gifts, like we saw at the front here, people you know, playing various musical instruments and singing. There are natural gifts, none of which I possess. So you know, I get that, that there are a variety. I don't think that distinction, spiritual or non-spiritual gifts, natural gifts, I don't think it's a particularly biblical one. That is... Who gives the ability to perform miracles? God does, okay? Who gives Sally Jolliffe the ability to sing out the front? I think God does. I think he, I think he made her. Do you understand? That is, same God rules over all these realities. The test of spirituality is not the gifts that you have, or trying to identify which person of the Trinity has given them to you. But actually, it's the way in which you use the gifts. That's the big point that's being made here in this chapter. So let me turn to that. What, why are the gifts given? What I want to do to start with is talk about why they're not given, and then I'll talk about why they are given. Okay, so the negative case, then the, then the positive case. Why, what gifts aren't for? Gifts are not given to you by God to give you confidence that you're a Christian. Okay? Not given by God to give you confidence that you're a Christian. I remember when I was at university and I'd become a Christian, young Christian, and there were, I was in a group where there were people with various charismatic gifts speaking in tongues, and I was in groups where that was exercised. And I went through a patch of feeling like I was a bit of a sub-Christian. You know, so I'd go home in my bedroom and try and trigger speaking in tongues and things like that. Let me say, I'm really comfortable with the gift of speaking in tongues. But there was a sense in which I just felt like I wasn't quite there. And I needed to be there. It wasn't quite, you know, I felt sub-Christian really in a way. But I realised at that point later on 
I was just being immature. You see, the, the gifts do not assure you that you're a true believer. You can speak in tongues and actually not be a Christian. It's a manifestation in lots of religions around the world. But if you're baptized in the Spirit, you know Jesus is Lord. That's the great gift. That's the great promise. Nor are gifts given as a mark of maturity. Really, we've already uh, covered off on that uh, you know, earlier on. Yeah, the more gifted you are, not the more mature you are, or the more publicly displayed your gifts are, not the more mature you are. You get this uh, funny comic picture that comes up, I think, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21. Uh, it says there, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you, and the, the hand can't say to the feet, I don't need, sorry, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. And it is, it's a sort of humorous, it's like, you know, heads, right? If we could disembody them, sort of saying, we are the action centre of the world, right? Right? We speak, communicate, we hear, we see, we smell, we think, right? We drive everything that happens in this, but heads rule, okay? That's the sort of picture being painted. And then you can, you can imagine the hand saying, okay, head, try and eat breakfast without us. You know, like it's that sort of, it's just silly, isn't it? It's a stupid sort of image in a way. But that is the point. Believers are all part of a body. And of course, it doesn't work unless we're all doing our bit as part of the body. Let me say, uh, nor are gifts given by God so that you can use them. And you might think, that's got to be wrong, but, but just hear me out. Uh, we, we tend to think that God gives me gifts so I can use them. There's a danger, though, with this. The danger is that I think oh, I've got a gift, therefore I must use it. Do you understand the slant there? It's all about me using my gifts. And I think that's, that's the uh, self-focused individuality and self-authentication that operates in our world today. Um, again, it's tied up with who I am and how I feel about myself. Nor are the gifts given to bolster my sense of self-worth in a general sense. Our relationship with God is not based on, ever on what we do. Our relationship with God and our esteem is always based on what God has done for us. Never what we do for God. Okay? So... What are the gifts for? Having sort of ruled out a few possibilities. When you come to 1 Corinthians 12 verse 7, it captures the key idea. Now to each one is given the manifest of, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Later on in verse 12, it says, just as the body though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Or then later on in the chapter, verse 27, now, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is part of it. You see, the key thing here is not whether you have gifts, but the measure of spirituality is whether you use your gifts for building up the body for the benefit of the church. Who has the gift of um, handing out leaflets? 
You know, like who has the gift of serving tea and coffee? Who has the gift to actually, this is a more limited group operating the sound system. Very thankful for you doing that today, Matthew. <laughs> but you know, like, who has these sort of, who has the gift of vacuuming? No one's ever come to me and said, Paul, I have the gift of vacuuming. Let me at it, you know? Uh, but you understand the point I'm making? The test of spirituality is measured by the heart to serve with the gifts that God has given me. Isn't that the point emphasized in the chapter following this one, 1 Corinthians 13? What's the mark of love? It's all to do with self-giving for the benefit of other people and to the honor of God. It's loving to exercise my gifts to build up others. That's the point. Okay, just a few minutes. Let me try and uh, wrap up some issues because I'm aware there are a whole stack of things in this chapter I haven't even touched on. And uh, you may think I've avoided all the tricky bits. Uh, so let me just try and address a couple of those anyway as we go on. And the good thing is it's the end of the weekend. I can address these controversial subjects and then I'll leave and Chris will answer all your, your questions, all right? So, <laughs> so it's the wonderful thing about flying in and flying out. Okay, think through a few issues. Okay. First one, are all the gifts mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12, are they available today? Uh, uh, I reckon that'll be floating around the room a bit. So you look at verses 8 to 11. Gifts like wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, tongues, the interpretation of tongues. Now, let me give you some of the views. Uh, Some would say, we're not exactly sure what some of these gifts are, so we ought to be careful. There's some truth in that. We're not exactly sure, but it's a cop-out to say, therefore, we just avoid them. I I just don't think that that's real. There's another group who would say, as you read through the Bible, there are always clusters of miraculous things. You know, you think about the Exodus, you think about Pentecost. It's not unusual for there to be clusters, but we're not in that cluster stage right now. Therefore, it's reasonable to think that we won't see... uh, Gifts. And also, you know, we've got the scriptures and their completion now, so we don't need gifts like prophecy that's passed away. And you get those sort of arguments floating around. And there are cessationists rather than continuationists. They say the gifts finished in the first century, you know, the, especially the miraculous and things like that, we ought not expect to see that past the first century. Different groups lining up with different sorts of views. As I read the Bible, I cannot see any definitive reason why God can't exercise his sovereign power in using his gifts today like he has throughout history, really. I don't don't think there's any substantive biblical reason that would rule that out. Let me put in a couple of uh, uh, provisos, though, a couple of riders to that statement. The mark of maturity in a church is that we will not be preoccupied with a gift or with gifts. That's obvious, isn't it? As you read through 1 Corinthians 12, the preoccupation is never with the gifts. We never become a church where when a gift is is operational, we go, ooh, ah, right? That's not our response to gifts. That's not mature. It's not really a Christian approach. Nor do we think that the person with a gift, a particular gift, is important, more important than any other person. Maren covered that in the kids' talk, and the kids understood it. We do too. You know, like, we know that that's true. 
The second thing I'd want to say is that the exercise of gifts is always subject to the oversight of elders or leaders in a church context. There's a range of reasons for that. But if you go through to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we're told that the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. That is, no prophet ever says, I have a prophecy from the Lord, I must speak it. Not in New Testament church. Right? That's the point being made. And in fact, what we're told in 1 Corinthians 14 is that prophecy is to be weighed by the elders of a church. And I take it that's the case for any gifts that are being exercised. The, you, know, you go to Ephesians 5, and a mark of spirituality is willingness to submit. And I take it, therefore, that a mark of Christian maturity will be a willingness to submit to those, particularly who have teaching authority in our context when it comes to the exercise of gifts. And that's, that's to be spiritual and mature. Third thing is, we'll always be asking whether the exercise of a gift will build up the body. Because of course, that's, the issue is not me exercising the gift. The issue is whether the exercise of the gift builds up and edifies people. And if it doesn't do that, of course you'd never exercise the gift. Because you would never, never want to do anything that would damage the body of Christ. Okay? Second, second Grab me afterwards if you want to talk about any of these things. Uh, I'm, I might be leaving very quickly, but you know, no, no, not true. Okay. The second thing is, what does it mean to eagerly desire the greater gifts? It comes up later in the chapter, verse 31. It says, now eagerly desire the greater gifts. So, okay, is there a pecking order when it comes to gifts at this point? And you come back a few verses to verse 28, and we're told, first of all, there are apostles, second prophets, third teachers. So should we all aspire to be prophets and teachers? Given, you know, depending on your view, there are no more apostles you know, since uh, the first century. Let me give you two thoughts. First is, how do you rank gifts? Uh, like what's happening here in terms of a ranking of gifts? I take it from what we've already read in this chapter, it's the gifts that actually build up the body that's the measure for how you work out how that works. So teaching God's word, the proclamation of God's word, um, which I take it is a, that's the prophetic thing, the proclamation of God's word, that always builds up the body. Therefore, it's important to be at the center of a church. When you read through this section of scripture, it talks about the relative unimportance for the body for example, of speaking in tongues. And the reason for that is because of the intelligibility of the tongues. Uh, that is, tongues in and of themselves are in a, a language, it seems, in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. It's not intelligible to the listener. Can can be intelligible if they're interpreted. But the issue is the word of God being brought to bear among the people of God. So the whole ranking is to do with what edifies the body. Second thing is, when it says earnestly desire the gifts, I think it's talking about the church, not individuals. We do, 21st century believers, tend to individualize the way we read the Bible. Here, when it says earnestly desire these gifts, it's not for you, it's for the body. So you should pray 
that this body of believers has every gift it needs to flourish. And of course, you don't give a fig who's got it. Because that's sort of an irrelevance, isn't it? As long as there's a body, we have the gifts that are able to be built up. And then finally, let me say, just capture the big idea here. You know, what is the true measure of spirituality? Well, all of us who are Christians have been baptised in the Holy Spirit. We profess that Jesus is Lord, and all of us are called by God to serve, to build up his body, and to sacrifice ourselves in that service. That is without exclusion if you count yourself a follower. At the Bible college I attended, I remember hearing a story uh, from decades before I attended the Bible, Bible college. Uh, the college went through a period where finances were really, really tight. And so what they had to do was they had to lay off some of the staff who were doing a lot of the practical things around the college to save money. You know, the, uh, the cleaners and the uh, repairers, maintenance people and that sort of thing. And what they did was they, uh, they got the students to sign up to rosters to do these tasks around the college, you know, setting up lecture rooms and doing all that sort of sweeping up, vacuuming, all that sort of stuff. And uh, one thing on the list, though, they could just not get anyone to sign up for. Any guess what it was? Cleaning the toilets. Cleaning the toilets. That's exactly right. <laughs> no one would sign up. And yet, what happened was, over the next couple of weeks, even though they kept beating this drum, the toilets stayed clean. It was the miracle of the self-cleaning toilets. Right? <laughs> it was quite an extraordinary thing. Uh, but, but no one knew how this was happening. Uh, one of the uh, students came to college early one day, saw the lights on in the basement where the toilets were, uh, went down into the basement, discovered the principal of the college. You know, he was there on his hands and knees, scrubbing uh, the floor and cleaning out the toilets. I remember this particular principal, and let me say, this was not a task he should have been doing, <laughs> both for competence, but for a whole lot of reasons, really. Um, but friends, isn't, isn't that the point? See, God has brought us into his family and a mark of our, our heart, the work of God's spirit, is that we're always saying, what can I do? How can I serve? Yesterday when I was at the conference, we had to clear out from the, uh, uh, the is it the village well? Yeah, yeah, the village well at church down the road. Very kind of them to let us use it. Here was the thing I was so encouraged by, right? I discovered... Narelle Joff, she has the gift of vacuuming, all right? And there are, that is, there are a whole stack of people who just pitched in and were doing what needed to be done without being asked. Lots of people were serving throughout the day. Lots of people were just doing those back room things. There are also lots of people doing the front of house things and serving us in that way. Lots of people doing lots of things to see the body of Christ edified for the glory of God. Friends, that's what it means to be filled with the Spirit. When we're talking about gifts, the measure of spirituality is how you use them to build up God's people. And in my observation, this is a community that has a maturity in this area. People do serve. They do long to see their brothers and sisters built up. And what I'd like to say to you is keep doing it, right? keep doing it.
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that uh, you are kind. You do speak to us clearly in your word. And Father, we know that there are going to be issues in a chapter like this where we'll have different thoughts, different emphases. And yet what we're so aware of is that we are part of one body, a local church that you have brought together in your kindness as you've gathered us to yourself. And Father, we thank you for uh, the diverse range of abilities and talents you've given to people in this room. But what we pray is that we'll keep thinking how do we use those for your glory and honour by building up other people, how we love one another. Father, we pray that will be the mark of who we are as your people as we seek to represent you faithfully in this world and to honour your name and to see our brothers and sisters stand on our shoulders as they proceed with their Christian lives and stepping into the world. Father, continue to keep filling us with your spirit, that is, with that desire to keep serving and honouring and loving you as we do that to one another.